Buddhist Geeks. Seriously Buddhist. Seriously Geeky. Episode 45. What happens to the Dharma when the boomers die out? In this episode, we converse with Diana Winston about the future of Buddhism in the West, especially with regards to today's youth. This is part one of a two-part series. This episode of Buddhist Geeks is sponsored by the Do No Harm Movement. To learn more about the Do No Harm Movement and to receive your free Do No Harm bumper sticker and wristband, please visit donoharm.us. Welcome to Buddhist Geeks. This is Vince Horn, one of the hosts. I'm joined today by three people. Uh, Ryan Olke, who's the co-host of Buddhist Geeks and will be helping facilitate this conversation. Hello. Hey, Ryan. And also here with guest Duff McDuffie, who's appeared on the show before. He's a practitioner in the SN Goenka tradition. He's also the co-host of a new show that we just launched called Conscious Business. Thanks, Vince. Yeah, Good Duff. to be here. Cool. Hope, you're, hope you got your mindfulness game on today. Oh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> just to quickly plug that, that's fallingfruit.tv slash conscious business. Fallingfruit.tv slash conscious business. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a reason he's the host of the Conscious Business Show. Always, <laughs> uh, always be marketing. And finally, we are joined by our special guest today, Diana Winston. Um, Diana is an insight meditation teacher. She often can be found in Marin County teaching at Spirit Rock Retreat Center. And she's also the Director of Mindfulness Education at UCLA's Mindfulness Awareness Research Center. Did I get that right, Diana? Yeah, Mindful Awareness. Mindful Awareness <laughs> Research Center. Uh, Sorry. I guess Mark for short, right? Right. Okay, cool. <laughs> and she's also an author. She wrote a book called Wide Awake, which is a, a Buddhist guide for teens. And you can find mm-hmm. out more about that at her website, wide-awake.org. You can also find out more about the work she's doing at the Mindfulness Mindful Awareness Research Center. That's marc.ucla.edu. So both of those sites will have tons more information about her background and the work that she's involved in, which is all really fascinating stuff. And actually, that's probably a good place to start. I wanted to find out a little bit more about the, the kind of work you do at UCLA and just hear a little bit about that because it sounds so fascinating. Sure. Well, we're a a center that's dedicated to education and research around mindful awareness. And it's about taking it out into the culture and making it really accessible and something that anyone of any background, of any religion, of any tradition would find useful in their lives. So we teach a lot of classes and many of the classes are what we call MAPS, mindful awareness practices for daily living. And they're very much based on some of the work that John Kabat-Zinn has done with mindfulness-based stress reduction. Right. But they take um, a lot of the Buddhist teachings and the mindfulness teachings and put them in a way that anybody can relate to. And it's been actually a really amazing endeavor to see people from all kinds of backgrounds getting interested in it. And they might not have become interested had it come through a Buddhist center because right. that might feel scary or kind of off limits. But in this way, it's been much more accessible. We also are bringing mindfulness into the medical education here at UCLA, mm. and we're in the process of working with the school systems, trying to bring mindfulness into schools and train school teachers. 
And we're also at a mental health institute at mm. UCLA in the medical school. So there's a lot of questions about how to bring it to psychotherapists and make it part of clinical training for people. So it's a very exciting new endeavor. Oh, and the piece I left out is that we foster research. We've done a study on ADHD and mindfulness, and we just completed a pre-K study on mindfulness. Nice. Nice. It sounds like you guys are pretty busy over there. We're really busy. <laughs> well, oh, it's great yeah. that, you, that you had some time to take with us. I really appreciate that. Oh, my pleasure. And um, the topic we thought might be interesting to discuss, especially with you as a guest, would is the topic of Buddhism and youth and different questions that that we could get into. But basically, where is the place in Buddhism for youth? And what does that scene look like? What Are a lot of youth involved in Buddhism? And if, if not, why? Those are some of the questions we could go into. And I think you were mentioning before we started the conversation that when you were in your 20s, it was actually similar to what my experience is today, that there actually don't seem to be a lot of, uh, a lot of younger people in, in Buddhism. And I guess younger, uh, we could take maybe like, 30 or below to be kind of a, a definition of what I mean by young. But, and I was also, I was also seeing on IMS, uh, the Insight Meditation Society's website the other day, that only 13% of the retreatants who, who do retreats there yearly are actually under 30 years old. And I found that, I found that pretty fascinating, even though I've been there several times and it certainly seems true. I, it was different to see the number and to realize that actually there weren't, there weren't a large percentage of younger people participating in retreats there. So I'm not sure where you guys want to start with this, but maybe the first question would be, are there any youth practicing Buddhism? <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. And it, in my view, it's changed a lot over the last 20 years. And as I mentioned earlier, when I was first meditating, there were very few people my age and it was pretty alienating and strange because it was mostly me in my early 20s and like two or three other people. And then when I would sit, for instance, a, a three-month meditation retreat, and then everybody else would be about at least 40 and up. And I've really seen a change over the years. And I don't, so it, yes, I understand that that figure is 13% at IMS, but I'll tell you back then it was probably about 2% or 3%. Mm, mm -hmm. And part of what's been changing has been, there's, I think, well, there's a lot of things, but if you look historically about the way certain kinds of Buddhisms have come to the United States, and this is even putting aside things like Buddhist, like ethnic Buddhist communities, and because that's a whole other really fascinating topic about what's mm. happening in the youth in those communities. Right. But um, if you just look at what we call, I mean, it's loosely called the con convert Buddhism, right? So things like the insight meditation traditions and Shambhala, and where it's mostly been mm -hmm. primarily Caucasian Americans adopting Buddhist practices and mm -hmm. translating it to the West. Right, right. Um, if you look back, when it started, there were a bunch of young people. So they were all young when they started. They were in their 20s, some of them maybe early 30s, people like... Joseph Goldstein, Jack Cornfield, they all were in Asia practicing. They came back and kind of hit the hippie generation with Buddhism. Mm -hmm. People got really excited. It grew. It became really strong in many ways. And then they grew up. And I don't think they made a huge effort in terms of bringing, I don't think they were very interested in demographic issues. You right. know what I mean? I think right. they were just building their communities, which right. makes a lot of sense. That's right. what they did. 
so anyway, the I think the generations after that didn't come to it in the same way. And particularly my generation, which is, I guess you call Generation X, mm-hmm. so post-baby boomer generation, they weren't so interested in it. And I found that I was one of, well, I just think people who, who for instance, when I was graduating from college, pretty much everyone I knew immediately wanted to start making money. Oh, Nobody right. wanted to travel to Asia and do anything. We were we were growing up under Reagan, right? And there was such an ethos <laughs> around accumulate and success. And yeah, that was the eighties, right? Yeah, this is the eighties. Yeah, yeah, the eighties, so not exactly about consciousness. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> right. So my generation kind of got skipped around being involved in Dharma, mm. and then. But what I have seen is a real interest coming in people in the next set of generations. And we've done work to foster that because at one, at some point the baby boomers realized, uh-oh, we're going to die out, right? There's not going to be anybody coming in after us. And, yeah. and this is a huge question. And this has actually been addressed recently at Spirit Rock because, for instance, they, they started a new teacher training program recently in the last year mm-hmm. and they decided to train some young people some of them as young one person as young as 25 mm-hmm. and the the oldest young person was probably late late mid 30s because they realized that if they just keep training people in their 50s and 60s what's going to happen to the dharma mm. so we've made an for instance IMS making a decision to have the teenager retreats which have grown into a kind of cross country phenomenon because we have them on the West Coast now. And mm-hmm. actually there's one in Virginia. There's going to be one in Chicago. These retreats have started sparking young people that we get kids as young as, you know, 14, 15 interested wow. in the practice and it becomes a lifelong practice for them. Mm. But it also, you know, it's slow going because there's issues of money and accessibility and where people are in their lives. And there's, there's a lot of issues. As you're talking, I, I realized, yeah, it's true. There, there actually is a lot of effort, especially in the insight meditation community. Can't speak really for other Buddhist communities, but there's a lot of effort I've been seeing in attracting youth and the uh, teenage retreat that you mentioned, also the young adults retreat, which um, basically they're offering this retreat for people up to 32 for free. And I've often thought I should go check that out. (laughs) And so it seems like they've been making a lot of effort um, at all these major retreat centers to make it financially uh, possible. And I've, often taken advantage of the the uh, youth scholarships that are available. And really, that's one of the primary reasons I've been able to do retreats. Yeah, this is Duff. Speaking of the Goenka retreats, it's funny because the Goenka tradition does almost no marketing, except uh, you know, they don't reach out very much. They have their one uh, DVD movie about prison and meditation courses. But mm-hmm. there's a fair number of young people who go because it is Donna-based, because it is donation. And it's mostly this crowd of, uh, I wouldn't, generalize too much but what i've seen is a, a crowd of uh young explorers young hippies who are who are trying out various things often go to multiple courses in a row mm. because they have the time or they have the freedom to do so so that's it's an interesting phenomenon there interesting yeah i wonder how much the financial piece really affects youth i mean for me that's been a big issue and um it's you know pretty common for people not to actually make sufficient enough money until their 30s to spend money on retreats, which in the West cost a significant amount. So I've been often prevented somewhat from actually diving into more meditation retreats just simply because I'm broke. 
Yeah. Absolutely. No, it's, I think it's a huge problem. I think it is one of the reasons that the Goenka retreats attract young people is because they can afford it. And I think it's a tragedy, actually, that the Dharma centers do not make like an ongoing youth rate or find out ways to reduce it because that's where you lose people. And I know, you know, when I was practicing, it wasn't that expensive, but it seemed expensive to me. In general, I haven't seen much concentrated effort towards youth in uh, meditation practice, at least in the communities I've been a part of. But I, uh, Diana, I wonder if you have more insight or experience with that. Well, Spirit Rock is about to institute a youth rate, and mm. I'm not sure. I think it's it's like a scholarship request for it, and I don't know much about in the other communities either. But what I do know is that various people at various times got an interest in youth for the very question that I was that I was bringing up earlier, which is what happens if we don't have youth coming in? Is this going to be, mm. you know, it's, they're going to get older and older, the baby boomers, and then who's going to who's going to be the next generation so they've got to focus on that population and i mean i love spirit both spirit and ims have family programs and teen classes well sorry spirit rock does classes ims does not but they both have family retreats and some of these kids get involved when they're you know four and five and it becomes part of their life all through growing up and you see them I see them at teen retreats when they're 16 and then at adult retreats when they're 22 and it's really inspiring to watch that happen but I will say it's not a it's not necessarily a priority for the centers in my view, it should be, but mm-hmm. there's so much else going on. You know, there are questions, sure. other kinds of diversity questions, right, like right. how do we bring in more people of color, more, right. you know, who knows? There, there's so much going on. Yeah, I have a couple other questions that might be interesting to address as well. Um, one is, what attracts youth to mindfulness practice and meditation in the first place? Why are people going to these youth retreats, these mm-hmm. 14-year-olds uh, or whatever? Um, why are the three of us attracted to it? And then what's different about starting a serious practice earlier in life rather than later? Is anything qualitatively different about the practice? Do people come to it for different reasons? Um, what happens as the practice continues, et cetera? Mm-hmm. Diana, do you, do, you mind if I, do you mind if I bring in a, a little arcane thing I saw in the, the Pali Suttas? Sure. I, 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 yeah, I just read this one part and it, and it was, uh, I think the Buddha was describing all these, these like group of all these arhats that are hanging out together. And he said the youngest one was like seven years old. <laughs> and obviously, I don't know the validity of that statement, but I, I'd heard that, that there were actually quite a few uh, younger disciples of the Buddha who were, you know, well known for their deep insight and wisdom. And I'm wondering, I mean, maybe that's an answer to the question from the Buddha's time, that there actually were younger people around who were, who were actually deep practitioners. Do you know any seven-year-old arhats? <laughs> <laughs> I heard about one, but <laughs> I, I would answer, I mean, I'd be happy to answer the question about starting with practice when you're younger, but I'm, mm. I would love also to hear from you guys, like what you, drew you to the practice in your 20s. Actually, I was um, drawn into meditation and mindfulness practice. I think one of the first books I did read was the one you were mentioning, what was the author you were mentioning again, that studies mindfulness. John Kabat-Zinn. Uh, John Kabat-Zinn. John yeah. Kabat-Zinn, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that was one of the first books that really I started paying attention to. Um, I started getting into just practicing on my own in high school, but then very quickly realized that I was actually using meditation 
as a way to not deal with social anxiety. So I actually stopped practicing mm. until um, after college and when I found it again, living here in Boulder, um, and then started going on some Guenca retreats and then really got mm. much more serious about it and meeting Vince too. <laughs> yeah, I, I was um, similar to Duff. I think why I came to Buddhist practice was really looking for some sanity behind, in you know, in my life where I had come through a rough period of time mentally. And so I don't know if this is just unique to Duff and I, or maybe this happens more and more with youth, but that was my approach to it. I came to it looking for some sort of sanity and peacefulness. Yeah. And I was also coming to it just because, um, I was really searching like a lot of mm-hmm. teenagers, I believe are really searching for what is the point? Like, what is this all about? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a real time of exploration and, uh, but often it's cut off and especially now it's medicated. Like depression mm-hmm. in youth is a problem that we often throw drugs at instead of spiritual teaching. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I mean, similarly to, to what you guys have said, I just, well, maybe not similarly. I had a couple of friends that had done quite a few courses and, Vipassana retreats and we were all kind of gung-ho about enlightenment and something about enlightenment seemed like it was the answer. (laughs) So I just kind of started practicing a lot because I thought that if I practiced, then I could get enlightened and that somehow enlightenment would answer some fundamental problems Mm -hmm. that seemed to be there. But maybe those problems did have to do with being so young, like 19 at the time, maybe it was like existential (laughs) crisis or something. I'm not sure. I think there's also differences between like the three of us and, and the quote Dharma brats who, who grow up with Dharma and, t- and through the whole life, which is happening more and more, you know, like for example, in the Shambhala community. And I think there's also just some sort of appeal. Like when I came to Buddhist practice, it was so new and different than anything I had seen in my life thus far. And so there was just some sort of appeal to it just generally. Yeah. I, there was also an appeal for me because it was different from Christianity and that there was a mm-hmm. method and that it yeah. was not necessarily any beliefs you had to just hold on to, but you could check out yourself. And that really appealed to me on a deep level. So that was... Yeah, same here. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and Pragmatic Dharma Provocateur Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com slash conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.